Well, hello and welcome. Today is a special episode here on Mostly Folk because we have a live studio guest with us, and that's Marcy Geller. And Marcy has a new album out called Square Peg, and I want to find out all about it, and I'm sure you do also. So let's start off with a tune from the album. Here's Marcy Geller with Save Me. I'm Marty Martello, and welcome to Mostly Funk. Just outside my window, there's a world that's shining brightly, but the only thing that strikes me are the shadows. I can ride the waves of goodness, let my body float on hope, push aside the constant clamor of myself down. I've searched high, I fell low, lost my savior long ago. Though I know that it's the music that will save me. I can marvel at the beauty behind this tattered shirt that reminds me of the moment when I face truth. But the truth is just an angle. That could turn like billowed sails And the only one to steer and hold the money I've searched high, I fell low Lost my savior long ago Now I know that it's the music that will save me Pull the curtain Between me and the unknown Perhaps these circumstances Are the cornerstone I've searched high, I've been low Lost my savior long ago Now I know that it's the music That will save me I've searched high, I've been low Lost my savior long ago Now I know that it's the music That will save me I 
And that was Marcy Geller with a tune called Save Me. And we are very fortunate to have Marcy Geller with us in the studio today and Joe Pzanik, who is a great DJ from New Jersey, and I'm sure most of my listeners know Joe. Hi, Joe. How are you, sir? <laughs> very well. And hello, Marcy. Hello. Good morning. And we are here in the Mostly Folk Studios, and the song I just played, Marcy, tell us a little bit about that tune, because... Um, First of all, the album's name is Square Peg, mm -hmm. and I, I want you to talk about the concept sure. of the album. Mm -hmm. And start off with with the song Save Me. Yeah, the, the song Save Me has become sort of an anthem of sorts for my listeners and also for myself. And it came about in a very interesting way because, you know, I don't have a specific method to the way I write. And on this particular morning, I was running in my neighborhood for exercise purposes. I wasn't running from anybody. Um, I want to clarify that. And in the distance, I heard bagpipes. Now, mind you, I live not in real suburbia, but kind of suburbia. You don't every day hear bagpipes in my neighborhood. And it was March, and it was that time of year where I was thinking spring is never going to come. Like, I really thought winter was going to be eternal. And I was really feeling that heaviness of missing sun and missing spring. And all of a sudden, I heard these bagpipes. And because of the way my muse comes to me, I started writing a song to the bagpipes. Now, mind you, later on, I realized, well, duh, there were bagpipes in my neighborhood because this woman was practicing for St. Patrick's Day because <laughs> it was March. Hello. But in the moment, I thought like the angels from above were sending me inspiration to get me out of the darkness. And I wrote this song, you know, you know, I've searched high, I've searched, you know, low, lost my savior long ago. Now I know that it's the music that will save me. And that's how it came about. Well, um, yeah, bagpipes. Uh, <laughs> what kind of pipes were they? Were they uh, Yulian pipes? <laughs> you know, I wish I could answer that question intelligently and I could lie and say, sure. But I honestly have no idea. But I did wind up having a conversation with the woman who was playing. And she was telling me how her family wouldn't allow her to practice in the house. Yeah. So that's why she was out in a field practicing her bagpipes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And so it, it accompanied me for my four-mile run. Why do bad bagpipes have such a bad rap? I, you, know? you know, it's like accordions. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. For some reason, it's it. They've they've taken on the. Hey, by the way, Joe. Anytime you want to pop, <laughs> pop in here well, and and offer an, an opinion, I'll tell please. you what. I will give you one because I love accordions and I love bagpipes. <laughs> me so there too. You now that it. might have something to do with the Polish slash Irish background. Uh, okay. You know? Okay. But, uh, I say all hail. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think in context, any musical instrument can be beautiful. Mm -hmm. And out of context, it could annoy certain people. And I guess bagpipes going on and on when you're practicing maybe the same song over and over again could be possibly irritating to your family. So I understand mm -hmm. why she was practicing in a yeah. field. But the irony is a year later... I ran into the same woman around the same time of year, and I came up to her, and I'm like, I wrote a song to you. And she's like, who are you? <laughs> I'm like, I remember me, I, I saw you like a year ago, and I stopped because you were playing bagpipes, and I told you, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I wound up letting her know. 
<laughs> have you ever considered having bagpipes? Why can I say this word? Bag have you pipes. ever considered having bagpipes on an album? I actually had considered starting the album off with the drone of her bagpipes leading into the song, mm. but then I thought, you know... <laughs> You have 10 seconds to keep somebody's attention. And if somebody puts it on and doesn't like bagpipes, I don't want to lose people because of that. So we decided we'll save it for another time. You know, when I I first heard that tune, Artie, the first thing I thought of was, and I I, I don't even recall, I mentioned to you. I do. That I I felt there was a Celtic spirit Mm -hmm. to it, Mm -hmm. not knowing anything about how it was written. Yeah. I love Celtic music. Oh, I mean, gosh, I play yeah. a lot of it. So, um, yeah, Mark Knopfler mm-hmm. does a lot of things with bagpipes and, uh, yeah. you know, just beautiful uh, tunes. So, sure. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. So, let's talk about Marcy Geller. Uh, where, where is Marcy Geller from? Where did she grow up? <gasps> How did she get involved in music? Well... My mother claims I came out singing, you know, which, of course, you know, sounds good. You know, it's good in the bio. You know, I was born in a hospital in Manhattan. I was raised in... Oh, me too. Yeah, I was raised in Queens until I was about seven. And then my people migrated easterly. So I, I grew up essentially in Melville in New York. And then years later, I met my to be future husband who lived in Stony Brook and, and I've lived in Stony Brook ever since. Um, so that's, you know, I've, I've maintained residency on the Island of Long as I refer to it, you know, and, um, you know, music was always a part of our household in that my father sort of envisioned himself as an unappointed A&R rep. You know, my dad was going down to the village and listening to little unknown singers in these little clubs Mm -hmm. way before it was cool to do that. And, you know, I remember him coming home and saying, this is going to be the next big artist and this this one's going to be the next big artist. And I remember a very pinnacle moment for me was when he came home with Carly Simon's album. And I remember him saying, she's going to be the next big thing. Hmm. And I said to him, in all my wisdom, I guess I was like, I don't know, maybe seven or whatever, eight. I said, you bought the record because you could see her boobies on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) And he was just like mortified. He's like, no, she's a really good songwriter. Well, I absconded that record and I don't think he ever saw it again because I literally wore out the grooves. Like I played it over and over and over again. And I really, at that time, believed that Carly Simon was my unknown, like, you know, uh, like friend, mother that didn't give birth to me, who understood who I was and she was singing directly to me. And unlike most kids who pick up an instrument, and I was always very musically inclined, you know, my, my dad got me a little xylophone when I was a kid and then later on I got a guitar and then once I got, found piano, that was it. I was, I was a goner. Um, Most kids, I think, have this inclination to learn songs that they hear on the radio. But I remember hearing her records and the music that my parents listened to, which was like the Beatles. And then they listened to Frank Zappa and the, you know, the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson. They had very eclectic taste. I remember thinking to myself, I can do that. I can write songs, too. So when I picked up my first instruments, I didn't try and figure out songs I heard on the radio I tried to write songs. That was my 
instant inclination. And I don't think I had this idea like I'm going to be a star. I think it was just a very natural thing for me to want to create music. And so, you know, I, I definitely hold my parents responsible for allowing me to really explore my creativity and really they supported it very much. You know, my mom was always looking into, you know, what classes and schools and camps should she go to and my dad was always feeding me new music and that's really where I got the bug it was like an addiction and I haven't been able to shake it since great expectations spill from you tonight right in the current tide actually start writing songs and and are those any of those songs on any of your albums no like from the beginning (laughs) the beginning songs (laughs) there I remember I remember being I think like five or six years old and writing a song and interestingly enough at that point I had a very strong ego which I don't have as an adult but I remember thinking as a little kid this is a hit definitely 
you know, my five-year-old self. And I do remember, I don't remember the melody, but I remember the song was about a lion and a, and a lamb and how they became friends and that they were able mm. to learn how to get along. Like I had this idea of peace and I was going to create peace with my music and, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I was I was a very 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 different little kid. I definitely marched to the beat of my own drummer when no, I was. No, like, I mean it's not such a bizarre concept. How difficult has it been for you to uh, become an artist that is recognized by people? What, what kind of obstacles do you face? Um. Well, I choose to look at them as challenges instead of obstacles. You know, it certainly has not been a straight line from point A to point B. That's for sure. And if you're an aspiring creative person of any sort, whether it's singer, songwriter, artist, comedian, actor, you go into it hopefully understanding that there are no guarantees and that you really truly have to have a passion for the craft of what it is that you're creating and be dedicated to that. Because if you think you're going to just step out there and be handed the keys to success, whatever success actually does mean, um, you know, you're kind of kidding yourself. At the same time, you know, I've had this conversation with Joe that like the thing that I think I've been missing in my career is that level of arrogance that says I'm so darn good that everybody should be citing me. Yes. And I've never felt that way. I've always felt like I don't need to be better than anyone else. I just want to be better than I was last year. You know what I mean? I don't know how you feel about that, Joe, but sometimes that can be a detriment. I know lots of people that could have been Mm -hmm. bigger than they are now Mm -hmm. if they were more aggressive. Well, you know, the interesting thing, like you asked me like what some of the challenges were and about being fearless and things like that. You know, I think about the things that have had a big like have made a big mark on me and you know I'll, I'll give you a little background a little insight so when I was in high school I had a drama teacher who took me aside and said you know you're very talented but you're not pretty enough to make it in this business so you really should think about doing something else mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and I'm being honest you know like nowadays the teacher would probably be you know, fired. But but back then, you know, that's what teachers did. They just told you the truth. You're not pretty enough. Get another job, kid. And it had such a big impact on my self-esteem. So here's the funny thing. Scroll forward a few years later, and I'm fresh out of college, and I think I'm going to record a song, and I'm going to go meet with a record label, and they're going to sign me, and I'm going to be famous. And that almost happened. So here's a little funny backstory. I was being courted by a booking agent. And at the time, I had been talked into doing a dance record because that's what was in. And they wanted to market me as the hipper, cooler Debbie Gibson, you know, a little edgier because I wanted like, you know, distorted guitars like Janet Jackson on my tracks. Anyway, I was being courted by this booking agent who at the time booked all the major dance acts like the cover girls and expose and brenda k star and he wanted to manage me but his basic like audition for me was he put me in a club and it was actually in jersey it was called Mm. joey's of heatherton 
And he put back then you did what they called track dates. You showed up at a club with your reel and they put it in the machine and you slip, you sang live to the tape that was playing because it was just backing tracks. So they put me in front of this crowd of probably, I don't know, 1500 people. And they're waiting for the, the headliner. I, they don't know who I am. Marcy Geller, smattering of applause. And I, the, the groove starts to my song. And they're like, all right. And they're starting to get into it. I'm dancing. And I come out with my dance moves. And I'm doing my thing. And I start singing. And bump, the tape stops. And the audience was like, <gasps> and I just went, let's start that again. And I went right back into it without even missing a beat. And the agent was like, I want to manage you. We're going to get you signed. You're a superstar. I have never seen somebody recover like that. And the honest to God truth was, I was too stupid to know to be scared. Okay? But then things took different turns. I got signed to a label, yada, yada, yada. I had um, the publicity, the, the PR person, the company that was repping me, they saw me on this show called Dance Party USA, which was a big show back then. Yeah. And they had a meeting with me sitting there, at, although I, it kind of felt like I wasn't. And they started to pick apart, well, you know, she really needs to lose 10 pounds. Now, I'm not a large woman, not that there's anything wrong with that, but at the time I was pretty thin, but I wasn't television thin. Mm -hmm. So they're sitting there picking me apart and, and I'm not thin enough and maybe we should do something with her hair, yada, yada, yada. All of those voices came echoing back. You're not pretty enough. You're not good enough. And, you know, I think that in some kind of energy way, I thwarted myself. And, you know, I look at it now and I say my higher self had a different vision. I didn't ever feel authentic in that music. It was fun. I did it well, but it wasn't where my passion was. It wasn't the message that I wanted to put out to the world. So I look at it as my higher self came down and and sent me a detour to go on a different road. But at the time, I felt like a terrible failure because, okay, we're rising on the charts, we're rising on the charts, and I'm on the charts for several weeks. And then you know, Atlantic Records wants to pick up the, the, the single and I got talked out of it. You know, you're, they're going to make you do dance track dates when you're 50 in Miami. This is not what you want. We'll take care of you. Blah, blah, blah. I turned down the deal. And then all of a sudden we disappear off the charts. Uh-huh. So, you know, I kind of shot myself in the foot and maybe it was a blessing. Yes. You know, because again, how do you define success? Is success about recognition is it about money is it about what possessions you have or is it about the music that you create and if you feel good putting your name on it you know I've had to make peace with the fact that like I may never be recognized you know in the way that I thought that I was going to be I may not be living in a big house I may not ever not worry about paying our bills but I am darn proud of the music that I make mm-hmm. for whatever that's worth, yeah. you know? So Absolutely. that's my success at this so, point. That's you know, a, Artie, I, I, I apologize for jumping in. I can't no, see your, I want you to. your face over the uh, <laughs> computer there. But um, I think Marcy is a, a consummate professional. I've said this before, and my opinion, and, I, and I've also posted this, you know, in, in mm-hmm. things uh, that... A lot of the um, new, inexperienced, and dare I say young performers, 
would do well to look at what Marcy does and how she does it um, to learn, Mm -hmm. you know, to to get that perspective and don't think that every little uh, spark is going to be the big flame. Mm-hmm. But but keep at it, mm-hmm. you know. Keep at it. Yeah. Open door, kick off shoes, drop the bags, umbrella too. See it blink from across the room. Listen close, message sounds in a beat world upside down. Try to breathe, all air is gone I know that you tried holding on for us I hope that you know that I think you are strong Marcy Geller. Joe Pazanik is here from uh, New Jersey. He came up with Marcy today, and I'm always happy to see Joe. <laughs> and tell me about this album, Square sure. Peg. Uh, first of all, the name. Of it. <laughs> Do you consider yourself Absolutely. a square peg? I am the ultimate square peg. <laughs> and, and no, I don't believe you are, actually. Really? But, so there might be some truth to it, mm-hmm. but 
in, in fact, it's not really true. Okay. You're, you're not really a square peg. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a, a great album uh, with great musicians. Mm-hmm. I see David Buskin even did uh, yeah. one of the tunes with yes, you. I love it. I used to go to uh, Buskin and Bateau concerts all the time. And, uh, you know, he would, they were always one of my favorite groups. They're uh, wonderful. And they've yeah. been very good to me. Even though they're on, I, I want to call it a hiatus. I don't want to say that they're done yet. But, um, you know, they've they've really, um, they've put me in front of their audience. You know, they've called me up and, you know, come down, sing with David, do some of your tunes. And, and given up their time out of their shows to allow me to share my music with their audience to help build my audience. And, which is a very generous generous act for another musician to do and I'm very grateful to both of them and I'm really grateful to David not just for being such a good friend but for taking the time to come down to do the duet with me and to play guitar on the track so I don't know do you want to play the song for your 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 audience (laughs) because we've been talking about it now and uh, this song is is also you know it's that message only love matters um talking about how you know, we, we all have our challenges and we all have the things that maybe we're not talking about on Facebook because everybody has to be having a perfect life on Facebook. But in reality, we're all having our own struggles. And so I, I wrote this song and it, it has a lot of heart in it and a lot of truths in it. And David put his heart into it and that's what makes it what it is. Hold on, it's
about the songwriting process for you okay. as a songwriter. Okay. So I, do you consider yourself a singer-songwriter? Is that, is I that... consider myself a songwriter-singer. Okay. That Somebody sense? else said that to Oh, me. really? I thought, yeah. that was, I thought I just made that Who up just now. Who said that? <laughs> I don't know. Ah, okay, well, never mind. <laughs> I mean, because for me, it always starts with the song. And, you know, I know I said up at the top that I don't have a process, but I, I, I reflect back and realize, no, I do have processes. There are different things that I use. I mean, obviously, as an artist, you always want the muse to just take a hold of you and this thing appears. But... I recently, in the last few years, I have embarked on these things called the Fearless Songwriter Challenge, and I don't know if you've heard of it before. Yeah. Um, it's a Facebook group that was started by Timmy Reardon. I'm so eternally thankful to him because, gee, like three quarters of this album were written because of the Fearless Songwriter Challenge. And essentially what it is, is it's a seven-day commitment to write a song a day recorded in some fashion and then put it up publicly on the Facebook group for everybody to hear, mm -hmm. which is not only terrifying and vulnerable and everything else I can think of that's not fearless, but you do it and that's what makes you fearless. So the very first time I heard about it, I went to the wall and they give you a prompt each day to sort of help you with the process. And the very first Fearless Songwriter Challenge that I did, the very first prompt was a painting called Boston Common at Twilight. And I went in with an expectation like it was going to be a word or a phrase or an idea. And I'm like, a painting? And I just said, okay, Marcy, just breathe, take in the painting, and see what happens. The worst thing that'll happen is that you don't get a song or you don't get an idea. So I looked at the painting and bam, there it was. I saw this painting, which is a turn of the century painting of this woman holding the, cha the hands of her two children. And she has this look of bliss on her face. And I recognized that look in somebody that, that's very dear to me and how I hadn't seen that look in a very long time. And that's how the song, She Was Happy Then, came about. There's a picture in a tattered Tall one to a bigger day. 
Set your iPhone up and just yeah, just sing into my iPhone, mm -hmm. and then I just and it would seem scary because it's terrifying. You, you certainly don't sound like you would sound in a professional recording studio no. on an iPhone. No, but you know what's funny about it is, I'm I'm as an artist, I have difficulty, believe it or not, sometimes even listening to my finished products. Like I just, it's just I guess maybe it's that mirror thing again. Like I I have a very hard time listening to myself. And then sometimes I'll hear something and go, you know what, that's not half bad, and I'm always surprised by that. Um, with this this experience, what's funny about it is that you can go back to the original songs. Some of, you know, like She Was Happy Then is on Square Peg. And you can listen to the fully fleshed out produced version. And then you can go, and I actually posted, what I did was I did a blog about the Fearless Songwriter Challenge. And I it's a very vulnerable thing to share this with other musicians who are experiencing the process but it is a almost insane thing to make it available to everybody which is what I've done I blogged about it I made it available to my fan base and my my listeners and now they can kind of come along the journey and see hear the songs in their roughest form which is terrifying because a lot of times it's like uh, I, like I was in traffic for seven hours and I have no voice but I'm going to squeak the song out but you can listen to the original recording of She Was Happy Then and you hear the song like it's there. You know, maybe I tweaked a word here and there, but that song was there. And mm. I'm I'm very proud that I was able to birth an entire song within a 24 hour period and get it into a fashion that was presentable to the world and then wind up on an album, you know, which leads me to the next one. I think the second day they were asking the prompt was, what do you hear in the silence? And I, I laughed because I'm like, what's silence? You know, my brain is constantly chattering. There is no such thing as silence in my world. But I I meditated on it and I said, you know what? I, What I hear is my husband's heartbeat. Because, you know, my husband is not just my husband. He is the kindest, best human being I've ever met. He's my best friend in the whole world. He's my musical partner. Well, yes, you too. Both of you guys as well. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah. But, kind of a difference Listen, there, I, it's though, a little yeah. different level yeah, of intimacy there, that. okay. Um, but he's also a musical partner in that he's my engineer. He co-produces with me. So, and he also tolerates the fact that I spend a lot of time away from him. You know, it's an interesting dynamic when one partner is away a lot and you know, well, for whatever it's worth, a lot of times when I see it, it's the man that goes on the road and the woman is staying home holding down the fort. In our case, he's home holding down the fort and I'm the one who's out on the road and traveling. Mm. And so I wanted to write him a song that let him know that as far away as we were physically, that I always felt him mm. close to me, the energy. Mm. We were always connected. So I wrote the song, I Just Love You. And it's sort of like my homage to Burt Bacharach, because like I wanted, because I, I know what turns my husband on musically, and I, I wanted to tap into that. So that's how this one came about. Mm. 
There's a space between your last word and my first deep breath. You captured me, I'm a firefly who needs the night to flash. Maybe it's no secret, but it's ours to love you Once again, I'm speaking with Marcy Geller, and Joe Pizanik has uh, graciously joined us today and drove up here with Marcy. And I want to remind everybody that's listening that Marcy does have a a very interesting website, lots (laughs) and lots of information on the website, Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, that would be marcygeller.com. Correct. And if people want to purchase your music, Marcy, what's the best way to do that? Just go to the website. It's all there. Okay. This, you just hit store. 
Store. Store. <laughs> Go to Marcy's store and Go buy her music. Go to my store. There's all kinds of goodies there. Um, uh, talking about marketing. Mm-hmm. Do you do your own marketing, or does a record company? Or I am the record company. You are the record <laughs> I company. am the record okay. company. I am the manager. I am the publicist. I am the radio promoter. I am the. It's sort of like agent. Rachel Sage. I just did an interview <laughs> with her that oh, yeah. published yesterday. Rachel does all of her own. She is uh, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, isn't she really she's is. something that else. Quite yeah. amazing. Yeah, she is amazing. Uh, but uh, okay, so you do it all yourself. So what kind of challenges are there for people? You know, for people that. That are listening for singers, songwriters mm-hmm. that are listening that might have to face this same kind of challenge. What advice would you give to them? Hmm. Okay. Well, I think organization is key. That's 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 part. That's the thing that I build the whole house on is being very very organized because my time is so precious and because I'm spread out so thin. Um, I do personally believe if you are not good at something that you should hire somebody who is or get an intern or somebody to help you. You know, don't try to do something if you're terrible at it, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, I think that there's something to be said about learning every aspect of the business. When I started out, after my record deal that I talked about before, um, the, the dance single, you know, after it fell off the charts, I wound up working for the management company, that was interested in, in managing me. It's, it's a long involved story, but basically I worked in the Brill building for about a year and I worked as I, they lost their office manager and I asked them to hire me and they're like, why would you want to be our office manager? And I said, because I don't want to starve. I want to learn the ins and outs of this industry. I want to understand how it functions. So I'll work for cheap and you guys will manage me. Okay. So I worked in the Brill building, this famous, famous building where all of these remarkably legendary singers, songwriters came out of. And I learned every area of the industry, not just how to craft and write a good song and how to put it together and how to get the right musicians. But I learned about marketing. I learned about radio. I learned about management, about promoting, about the difference between marketing and promoting. So I think that if you're truly serious and passionate about doing this, immerse yourself, you know, see who whose career you want to have and then trace backwards and see what that person did to get where they are. Great advice. Great advice. The industry can be very cutthroat. Um, You know, (laughs) one better or what have you. How how do people avoid getting ripped off in in this industry? (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, that's a very... I'm glad that you asked that question because if there was another piece of advice that I would give when I think about the, you know... I majored in music in college, but I took a minor in business because, again, I wanted to know how to take care of myself financially, and it was a blessing and a curse. I almost feel like I knew too much, and I turned a lot of deals down because I didn't think that they were fair or good deals. What I, what I think in retrospect is there probably isn't a perfect first deal to be had. So either you're going to do it completely on your own or you're going to bend a little bit. And that's difficult for artists to accept. But, you know, if I was going to go back and do anything differently, I think I may have 
taken chances a little bit more with some of the deals that came across, like maybe the Atlantic Records thing or whatever. You know, like I wouldn't have been so eager to um, listen to somebody else's advice. I would have listened to my own inner instinct. And, you know, sometimes you have to give stuff away to get somewhere. I mean, you know, what do they say? A hundred percent of nothing is nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I do believe it's great to own all your publishing and I do believe it's great to own your masters. But if a record label is going to be the bank and they are going to give you access that you're not going to easily obtain on your own as an artist, well, maybe you have to take a chance because the way I look at it is if you are knowledgeable and you do like what I said, you learn about the industry and you take that chance and you take a hit financially the first time around, what do you walk away with? Well, maybe you walk away with a hundred thousand fans that you would never have been able to uh, accumulate as an independent artist. And maybe you're able to retain 30,000 of those as an independent artist who just came off of a major label. You know what I'm saying? So, and Mm. that's a sustainable career. Maybe you're not going to have mansions on uh, overlooking cliffs on the water, but maybe you'll have a comfortable lifestyle and always be able to make the music that you want to with the music musicians that you want to and maybe that's enough, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, it would have been enough for me. <laughs> it's a different world um, now mm-hmm. in the music business. Sure. But the thing that I think we always saw, I mean, I was in the business for 30 years, mm-hmm. um, is that the percentages. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, if yeah. you play the percentages, at, you know, you realize that for every... 100 or maybe more you know i don't know specifically but for every hundred artists that pass through a label yeah you get one janet jackson or you get one you know it's it's incredibly difficult Mm. well you have to be able to well that was the other point of it is that if you do get signed to a label and you think you're going to get that big advance check and just spend it on cars for your family and i've seen this (laughs) i i have seen artists get deals and buy a new red corvette for everybody in their family and then they never even put the record out it never even you know hit the airwaves You know, you have to be willing to keep working as hard, if not harder, once you get signed to make sure that your record sticks. Because what they're going to do is they're going to send, like you said, a hundred things out and they're going to throw it against the wall and whatever sticks, that's what's going to get the attention. So you better make sure that you're sticking. You know, you better make sure that you know how to get attention from your from your A&R rep. The bottom line is there's this weird, uh, not weird, but there's this interesting chemistry that happens between radio mm-hmm. and record company and sure. artist and listener mm-hmm. because ultimately every radio station in the world could play your record and if the listener if the fan mm-hmm. does not react mm-hmm. it doesn't matter that's right you yeah. know it really doesn't and it, how do we know you know i don't care how many People in the business who are touted as geniuses, right? There ain't many of them. The tastemakers. <laughs> there ain't many of them. Mm. You well, know? you know, yeah. I think ultimately you have to connect on some level. Your song, your voice, what you put out as an artist either has to make somebody cry or laugh or, you know, get maybe in the mood a little bit or want to dance. Mm. Like those are the, the emotions that yeah. as human beings, that's our soul food, you know, literally our how soul How do you food. know that? How, do you think you've accomplished that? And if, if so, how, <clears throat> how do you know that? The gauge for me is the audience. 
You know, I if I play a show and even one person comes up to me and says, like you that. wrote this song for me. You have no idea how much I needed to hear this tonight. Mm-hmm. I know I've done my job. Mm-hmm. That's how I know. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's happened like with the song um, Nearly on this album. I had somebody literally come up to me with tears coming down their face yeah. and said to me, you don't know this, but you wrote that song for me. And I was like, thank you. You know, thank you for honoring me with knowing that something I said made a difference for you because isn't that why we do this? To make ourselves and others feel a little less alone on this planet? You nearly did me in Cause I believed you again Your shiny promises melt like snow Marcy, tell me about some of the people 
aside from we we did talk a little bit about uh, David Buskin, but mm -hmm. who else was on the album that you might want to give some props to? Well, the first track that we say, that we played was "Save Me," which featured Lori Lieberman, which is you know she's one of my favorite humans. She's just a wonderful person and a she has one of the most beautiful voices and she's just such good energy and so having her on that lead track of the CD was a really beautiful honor and mm. very validating to me as both an artist and a friend. Um, lots of musicians. Maya Byrne is all over the CD. Honor Finnegan, Jake Bush from Pesky J. Nixon, Jonathan Predis from Miles to Dayton. I mentioned Anthony Palmas before, and Jack Knight is the bass player. He plays with a really wonderful group called the Funk Philharmonic. Um, let's see, uh, Brian Dunn did some drum work on it, and he tours now with uh, Hall & Oates. Obviously, Marshall Rosenberg is all over the CD. Um, Paul Michael Barkan did the string arrangements, and... Um, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anybody. If I am, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and, and in closing, what, what do you feel uh, is different about this CD mm -hmm. from your other work? I think what differentiates... Look, every single CD I consider a marking of time. You know, I can't tell you what year this happened, but I can tell you what album I put out. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mark time with my CDs. And I think that what makes this CD and this passage of time different is that I think there's a lot more joy on this particular album as opposed to some of the other ones. doesn't mean that the other ones are joyless, and it doesn't mean that this one is not without its sad songs, which we, you know, we listened to a couple of little more melancholy pieces today. Um, but... I think as a songwriter, it's been a quest for me to learn how to musically express joy with more depth. Because in the past, anytime I tried to write a happy song, it always sounded hokey to me. You know, it just didn't, it felt like, oh, you're just trying too hard. And I knew that there was a place that I could write songs that are joyful, that have meat to them, you know, meat on the bones. So I'm I'm proud that I, I think I was able to reach a nice balance with this particular CD where there's a lot of joy that's expressed on it. And I am really excited to see what the next one holds. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, he rang me 
dollar store with you. Well, it all comes around. Yeah, it all comes back around. Yeah, it all comes around. Yeah, it all comes back around and around. Let it go. 
So, Artie, if, if you don't mind, I actually have a request. Mm -hmm. And this is something, this is a track that uh, Marcy's husband actually helped me focus on. You know, because I was, I picked some of the earlier tracks and, and I listened to the whole album, but he said he felt like this record, this particular song, was really about, uh, really had that Pet Sounds feel. And we listened to it, and I just went, wow. <laughs> oh, my. So um, so if we could um, play, if um, it's called uh, Would, Would You, you Still, still Believe? Uh, believe. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say if you, if you Still Believe It. Would You Still Believe? And uh, uh, this is, I just think it's such a moving track. It's beautiful. What if I waited this long And at the end there is Marcy and Joe both, mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming up here today. 
And I'm sure there's going to be lots more joy coming <laughs> down the road for you, Marcy. You. And we know Joe has lots of fun. Yes, <laughs> he's, 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 he's joy in a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hey, guys, thanks again. And I hope to, I don't know when I'm going to see you next time. Mm-hmm. but. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been great spending time with you. Uh, and it certainly has. And uh, hey, see you soon. Geller from her album Square Peg. That was Sally Knows. And once again, I want to thank both Marcy and Joe Pizanik for joining me today and for sharing both of their thoughts with us here on Mostly Folk. And uh, don't forget, if you want to get a complete playlist of this particular episode, you can go to mostlyfolk.org and just check on the episode with Marcy Geller and you'll be able to find all of the songs that I played in the order by clicking the upper left hand corner on episode info. Well, the music of Roy and Dale are telling us that it is time to leave you for the day and I do hope you enjoyed this episode. This is Audie Martello wishing you a terrific day and hope to see you right back here next time. On mostly folk. Sing a song and bring the sunny way.
betrayals too.